All right. I'm at the Red House with Ryan Johnson. A new introduction is taking place, so it's good to <laughs> good to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you for coming out here. Thank you for having me. Where do you come from? I'm living in Winston-Salem right now. And as uh, you had just mentioned, you moved here a couple years ago from the Raleigh scene, yeah? I did. I did, yeah. I took a job here and moved in 19. Um, I think I officially moved somewhere in May or June. Um, but yeah, I spent about, I think it was close to a decade, eight or nine years, uh, in Raleigh, uh, trying to play music for the most part. Uh, not originally from Raleigh? Not originally. I was actually born in Winston-Salem. Oh, cool. So, um, I, my parents split when I was young, but my dad lives in Moxville still and my mom lives in Kernersville. Mm. So I kind of grew up bouncing around back forth between the two of them i know that feeling i did yeah. the same thing with uh winston-salem and with with king just yeah. going to here yeah i my brother-in-law's from king so, mm. yeah king's an interesting yeah. little place <laughs> uh, it is it <laughs> indeed is. so so i guess i mean a, a great place to start learning a little bit might be just what your experience was like when you'd say trying to be a musician in raleigh how did raleigh treat you um, well, it was kind of, in. I can't, like, I had some good experiences in Raleigh, and I had some bad experiences, but I think that kind of goes everywhere. Mm. It kind of goes with everything. Yeah. Um, I, it was, I, when I moved there, it was kind of on a whim to try to play music, because I had just left another world like another life basically um i used to rodeo and i just kind of left that and i had been kind of touring or traveling with a friend of mine that was playing music at the time uh with hopes of playing bass for him and i ended up helping him like road managing like selling merch and things like that and then um the bass thing never, I got a bass and started trying to learn it, but never really kind of happened. And, uh, we split ways and I decided, uh, I'm going to go to Raleigh. I kind of on a little bit on a whim hmm. and, um, uh, I knew that, um, some people I looked up to like Tiff Merritt and some of the earlier whiskey town stuff I was really into. So. I was like, this is kind of a place where I think people like what I'm into would play. So I had some friends up there. I went to college there at one point and then made some friends later on that were still in college there. And I had a good friend that was nice enough to let me crash on her couch for a couple months. And I just, like the old story, you know, I just had clothes in a car and a guitars and Hmm. crashed on a couch damn so yes it was something yeah there's a lot in there that that makes me curious uh <laughs> i saw a post about you that i think called you the uh, i think sam might have referred to you as a cosmic cowboy yeah that's kind of the name they kind of given me lately and I, so. I guess it sounds like the cowboy as the cowboy side of that moniker is not actually Person like a personification or whatever. Sounds like you were actually might be one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I grew up. My dad, when I was younger, oh, he's always had horses still to this day, and uh, grew up around them. And he was 
he always uh, was interested into rodeo and like cowboy lifestyle and stuff like that. So he kind of brought me along and I, you know, seeing it, being around it, uh, grew an interest in it. And then, uh, got to be a teenager like any young boy does. I was like, I'm going to try this shit, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, it took me a while to convince my parents to let me do it. But once I did, I, I was kind of like, you know, the old saying you're hooked. But at first I wasn't sure what I was getting into, but then after a couple of them, I, I did okay. I did better than I thought I would. And, um, once the new kind of wears off of it and you sink into it and try to figure out what you're doing, mm. uh, I kind of got into it deeper. And All right. So what attracted you to the rodeo thing? What made you say, I want to do this? I, I guess it was a combination of a lot of things. Uh, at that time when I was in high school and I wasn't like a popular kid or anything like that. And and not that that means anything, but it kind of gave me something, you know, I was like I said, my dad was always taking me around it and um, it always intrigued me. But, you know, I didn't. It wasn't like he wasn't entering himself. So it wasn't like I. My dad was rodeoing, but he was introducing me to it in a way. And um, and at some point, like, just trying it, and after I found out, like, oh, I can kind of do this, it gave me something as a kid, you know. It gave me uh, somewhat of a purpose, I guess, in a way. To me, it sounds like what you're saying, a little bit of, is, like, identity, too. Like, yeah. Sounds like a... like. I don't know. I think I remember in high school or that age, it was like basketball and sports became my first sense of identity. And I don't know what that, what, what it has to do with like competition or bravery or whatever, but it is, it's like a, it's like you're, it's almost like a, to me, it sounds like, um, like that, that, uh, I can't think of what that shit is called, but where, where they used to like, kind of have a ceremonial sort of introduction into manhood like yeah. that kind of thing that yeah is identity forming it's very much a in like kind of an introduction to manhood i think you yeah. know <laughs> and if you're around in that world it's like very you know if you're if you're not tough you're not going to fucking make it mm-hmm. you just you know that's kind of the thing you know so you learn quick you got to be able to take a hit and keep on going you know were you riding bulls mm-hmm. damn can you tell yeah. me about the first time you rode a bull? Oh shit! <laughs> I was nervous as fuck, man. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know. If that's, my, that's totally. I kind of have a mouth of a sailor, <laughs> so it'll be something that comes that, out. But that, that is, uh, we are meant to be ourselves in this in this <laughs> domain. <laughs> I I actually um, the very first time. Not a lot of people know this, but a friend of mine entered and he got scared and didn't want to get on. So I got on in his place and I was nervous, so nervous. And, um, but, um, yeah, I can't, I just remember it was this kind of stout black and white bull, kind of whoppy jogged horns, crook horns. Mm. And, uh, yeah, he made quick work of me. But after that, I went to a practice pen and started getting on some more. 
And uh, the first, I remember the first time I got on one that was a good, like just a good little practice bowl is what they call them. Just jump kicker is what they say. But um, he was right around the left, and I just somehow stayed, you know, I did things somewhat like you were supposed to do them, and I was like, I think I'm kind of getting the hang of this. Mm. <laughs> and so I just kept doing it after that. So It makes me very curious, man. I mean, I imagine that that is a really, that takes a lot of overriding the mind in order to kind of put that training into your body, you know, yeah. to like fucking like know what to do to stay on there. Yeah, you're, you're, everybody in that world will tell you that it's kind of, it's supposed to be already programmed in there, you know, you hmm. just, when you're, when like you practice and like the, any of the great ones, like anybody, like one that's from around here is J.B. Mooney and he, he two-time world champion, I think something like a $7 million, one $7 million doing it or something. Damn. Um, but, uh. But yeah, you you get on barrels like they people can make different barrels like some of them. I, I had one at one time that was in the woods behind my dad's house that was had two ropes in the front and one in the back and kind of sat diagonally like that. Mm. And you get on it and get somebody to pull it, and you that was practice. Drop barrels are a big thing where you stick them to something where they lift you up and they just drop you out of the sky. <laughs> I've seen some of those barrels around at people's houses. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. In this area, too, because King has a bull riding uh, in the wintertime, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah. just, just not too many months ago, I there's a guy I follow who does some of that on yeah. Instagram and stuff. And I see him occasionally post about, like, the injuries and the horrible stuff, the horrible side effects of some of this stuff, like the danger that it mm -hmm. is. And that to me is what's so hard to wrap my head around. And I had a fantasy about all this stuff when I was younger. I used to like, I, I think it was, I saw the movie eight seconds. About, yeah. Uh, what was his name? Lane, Lane, was yeah. it Lane Frost or yep. Lane? Yeah. And he, uh, I, I was, I wanted to ride a sheep so bad and I wanted to be a cowboy so bad. And like, uh, always was begging my dad and I really thought by the time I was like 16 that I'd be riding steers but uh never went down into that into that life uh and and anyway looking at it now from the outside I'm just like holy shit like at this stage in life being 33 and never having really done anything that dangerous to to that scale uh mm -hmm. when, when I say dangerous I don't mean I don't want to associate it with a negative connotation because it's like a pretty yeah. badass sport but i just mean it's like obviously it's a it's a different le it's it's a different level of danger with something as predictable as a bull compared to like another human you yeah. know in that kind of sport yeah has a mind of its own yeah yeah and it's like as far mm -hmm. as it's concerned it don't give a shit it's not gonna no. get arrested if it kills you no you know? and they just, like there's no way physically for you to overpower it either Mm -hmm. So you have to learn how to ride them correctly, you know. It's just, I mean, you're never going to out-muscle a bull. No, right, yeah, there's so. no way. After that first time you did it, how long did it take before you, like, did, did you ever get to where it, it, you were less nervous doing it? I don't know. Uh, there were times later on, right before I stopped, that... Um, 
where I kind of had grown numb. Um, I'd gotten a little burnout, um, having some bad years. And like the last year that I did it, it was just really rough, you know? And so that was, that's a looking back on it is a little scary because I think at that point, if you're not getting nervous, then what are you doing? Mm. (laughs) Is that how you fuck up? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, every, like they say, everybody's going to get hurt. It's just a matter of when and how bad, but if you don't, have any passion for it or if you don't have a drive to be there then what are you doing mm. <laughs> why <laughs> there's no point you know yeah yeah and that's it's scary to think about but that i think i definitely got to a point and i've heard guys like ty murray say at the end of his career that he's like down in the buck and shoot getting on one and he's like why am I here right now? Mm. And someone like him, he's like, I've done it all. I'm seven time world champion. Like, what am I doing? And that was the last, I think was the last one he got on. I could be mistaken, but. What's the, uh, age range for people in this sport? Usually typically, I mean, start, some kids start off sheep, but like the older ones typically are, early thirties. Really? Occasionally you'll see someone go, um, into their, like, I think Adriano was 40 or something. I think Edna Caminas is in his forties now. Wow. But those are guys, those guys are kind of unheard of, you know, um, JB still riding, but I think he's in his mid thirties. Maybe I could be wrong. Damn. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like MMA or something. Like, you know, young young man sport up to a certain yeah. point, and then there's a couple of wild dudes yeah. that, that linger around. Yeah, in your prime, like 20s, I would think, you know, when you start to get in your 30s, you're getting a little old. You're a veteran. You're mm-hmm. definitely considered a veteran. Damn, man. At that point. Well, I had no idea when you were coming over here that you were a... Uh, I had no <laughs> idea you, were involved, you had been involved in rodeo. I had... I have been disassociated from it for so long that I I don't bring it up a lot because I don't want, it's almost feels like a past life to me. So I don't want, especially playing music, I don't want to show up at every gig and be like, I'm a cowboy, you know? Yeah. Even though that was a big part of my life, uh, I I haven't been around it in so long, so I don't want to be someone putting on a front to gain attention or anything like that. I get it. Yeah. You know, you make me think about, well, you know, my experience anyway, I don't know how this works for everybody, but my experience was, you know, that early identity there, there were a couple of like miniature identities in there before sports really took hold. But I think when I was like a teenager, sports started being sort of, the identity that I was getting most rewarded for. And people were like, pray, like they praise you literally like go like this in the air and like yell, especially in rural areas, you know? Yeah. They take sports real seriously. And so (laughs) you're like getting rewarded for this identity. And then after school and pretty much after like they, after I like got kicked, almost got kicked out of school and I like couldn't play sports anymore. My identity just shifted to music. And it wasn't like I, 
it wasn't like I started making music about being an athlete, you know. I made music that was entirely separate from that, and it was an identity shift. Right. And I was just thinking about somebody like, I don't know, Coulter Wall and some of those old country yeah. guys from the 90s, too, that really rodeo was like how they got their, their foothold in mm-hmm. the country scene. Uh, but it sounds like for you, you did not... Your, that same identity of being involved in rodeo didn't inform the musician you wanted to be. Yeah. I think early on when I started playing, it kind of had some influence, mm-hmm. but um, I drew heavy influence early on playing music from singer-songwriters in Texas because I spent a little time out there, and if it, that was one big thing that I took from that area is their songwriters. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and and the guys that I really got into weren't old cowboys necessarily. They were just writing about what they knew. And that's, I've always tried to really, from the beginning, write what I knew, you know. And even though that was rodeo, I don't want it to come across cliche, mm-hmm. you know. I don't, uh, a lot of guys, I've heard a lot of songs about, you know, being a fucking cowboy and stuff, and that's fine, but uh, I just don't want to be cliche. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah, somebody told me once they thought that Coulter, like, makes music for, like, uh, for prairie folks yeah. or something. And I thought, does he make it for them, or does he make it because that's, like, what he feels his experience is, and that's, like, does he make it for everybody else? Because like a yeah. shit ton of people like him, and it's mm-hmm. it's not like I'm not a fucking rancher, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's I like great. I like listening to his stuff. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I but, think he's got a mix. I, I don't. I I can't claim to know culture or anything like that. Right. But um, I do think the part of the Canada that he's from is very plainy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But. Um, I've heard him say in interviews too that he didn't consider himself a cowboy, but um, I think nowadays he's gotten more into ranching and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, yeah, he sure seems like a cowboy. Yeah, yeah. I sometimes I I mean I've wondered. He's also a younger artist, and yeah. I've wondered if it was like if that was sort of just the identity that took hold for him, and if yeah. it's sort of a persona like it is with because there's a huge western persona that seems to be going on that's like spreading like wildfire in popular tv shows right now it's crazy man (laughs) it's wild isn't it (laughs) i i no one will remember it but i i called this shit like back a while ago like i knew that this was on the horizon yeah and uh man it's really uh taken hold in in like songwriter circles as well right um a huge sort of dress up like a cowboy thing (laughs) yeah yeah and i go back and forth with that because i wear like i have hats and stuff and and sometimes i'll wear them at shows but sometimes i won't because i I don't know it's like a it's kind of a thin line to walk but they people at the shows don't know me you know Mm -hmm. and i don't want to come across as somebody trying to fit an image (sighs) yeah you know I just don't, you know. I mean, I've done I've I've done it. I can't do it too much, I've noticed. Like it doesn't feel like I'm being myself. And that's what's so interesting about thinking about you cuz 
that actually is a part of yourself. That's like a world you actually come from. So I'm surprised to hear that you think about that too, because it sounds like you would have every right to do that. Whereas for me, when I'm faced with this anymore, I keep telling myself, you know, you're not really like a Westerner. You're not really a Texan. You're like an Appalachian dude. Mm -hmm. And that's how I'm kind of wrapping my head around shit lately is like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be from here and pretending like I'm from a different place or whatever. I want to kind of, if I'm going to represent a culture, I think I want it to be more like Appalachian culture. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I kind of struggle with that too, because, uh, my mom's side of the family, uh, very much came from rural Appalachia, south of Asheville, like mm. in between Asheville and Murphy. Like the real mountains. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And like like the old, all the stories you hear, like Loretta Lynn tell about, like that I know that's true for her. It's also true for their family, you know, scrubbing their clothes on the washboard and like getting new shoes in the wintertime. Mm, the real like, thing. Yeah. yeah. And they still have the house, the original house that uh, my great grandmother had. And if, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm getting this correct. It's nine children, and one of them died pretty young. Mm. But they, um, I'm pretty sure that's correct. You and ever, you ever go out there? I haven't been there in a long time. When I was in middle school, my grandfather, which was one of her sons, took me out there when I was on spring break. We went out there and stayed in the house, and he kind of showed me around. Mm. And, everything so I got that was my first chance to really see it and uh, Mm. the family still owns I think it's been sold to someone distant in the family now so it's still in the family but they have a graveyard up on the mountain behind the house and that's where my great-grandmother is buried and damn man yeah that's like some ghostly stuff right there yeah and if you go there you can feel it like you from what I remember and it's been so long but you can kind of feel it you know i remember being a kid staying there over spring break and like being afraid to fall asleep because that thought of something was gonna happen in the middle of the night but Man, you know. that's what i i mean that to me is like such a portrait of appalachian culture yeah. it's just like mm-hmm. the 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 smoky foggy mountains and the sort of dead culture and the the self-sufficiency of kind of Mm -hmm. being stranded in these, in these isolated places and the lifestyle that came with that. Like some of the old footage from, I forget his name, but that the guy who's recognized for kind of collecting a lot of the, the Appalachian music, um, some of the footage that he captured of just like those homestead sort of lifestyles are just busted up ancient houses and yeah, Mm -hmm. backyard graveyard and everything. Just haunted, haunted yeah. as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. And it's like the wild thing about that house that I remember, it's in the valley of the mountain, and there's a creek or a river that runs in front of it, uh, in front yard, and then directly across is a church, I guess where everybody went to church at right mm. there. So it's like southern Appalachia, like all wrapped up in the one right there. I love know? it. <laughs> But I struggle with that, too, because I wasn't raised that way, yeah. you know? Um, and I don't consider myself Appalachian or Southern at all, you know? I mean, I know I was born in the South. Yeah. But I, I have this idea of, and, and I'm toying with the idea of calling a record um, uh, from the South, not Southern or something like that, or a play on that mm. in some way. 
because that identity of being Southern is so, I don't know, I struggle with where people want to take it these days. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I, I've not run into that conflict too much myself. I think I think of myself as, as, as shallowly Southern, and I wish I was like more Southern. I think I still embrace the 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 Southern identity. Yeah. Of course, there have been aspects of that that have been. Oh, there's it's like there's kind of an a word there's kind of a word association I think that goes on with it, and people think that maybe that identity has to come with certain things and. You know, I don't know if it has to come with certain things more more so than any other identity. You know, uh, I think it's a good, a good, I think it's a good subject to kind of chew on and yeah. sort of figure out if it does. Uh, I'm certainly not saying that southern southern identity is flawless either, but regardless of that, true. I I think of my grandparents on my dad's side in particular, who were just like very country people, and like the the influence that they had on me because they were the people they were the generation who I think evolved from poor people who just like lived out in the dirt and who had to grow a bunch of shit and can shit and chew tobacco and all this stuff and then and my grandfather told me he was like yeah I was like I mean first of all my grandfather was his his dad just disappeared one day and so he became the the man of the house when he was like 13 years old he had to like be involved in important decisions for how to make everybody survive yeah, at 13. Tough. And that's crazy. <laughs> that's wild. And then by the time he's like 16 or 17 or something, he was like, I'm going to move to me and my buddy are going to move to Winston Salem and just start a life. And, uh, they did that. And, you know, as time goes on, he's got like a car and a washing machine and mm-hmm. like all these, all these conveniences that he, he didn't have, you know, from his childhood and, and, I then inherit just like slight influence from his presence. You yeah. Know? He's just a dude that likes to be on his tractor and grow a garden and yeah. he appreciates everything he's earned and whatever I inherited that's Southern, I think I got from him. Yeah. And I can identify with that, what yeah. you're talking about. Uh, I think my struggle comes from other things that people claim to be Southern that I'm like, man, maybe we should kind of let that go. <laughs> like flags and such yeah yeah stuff like that um, yeah i struggle with that hard and i probably shouldn't put so much thought into it i don't know but i mean you know it's it, it can be pretty cut and dry i guess you know i i it's when them people <laughs> say that they want to separate the issue into like their interpretation of maybe that symbol versus yeah the the opposing interpretation of that symbol i believe that they're sincere and that they think that it can be separated so it's not like i like i don't feel the need personally to condemn people who think that who who try to claim that that flag represents their relationship with rebellion yeah cuz i think that they mean that but i do think they're kind of uh wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah it gets kind of screwed you know i i don't know yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying, and I can kind of understand that. But I think we have a tendency to make mountains out of molehills in a lot of ways on one side or the other with that, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that is the most obvious thing that comes to mind for me when we're talking about the Southern identity and the the parts of it that I think are kind of getting dropped off into the past or whatever. And there's... 
issues. There's the issue of statues and culture and memorabilia and all this shit. Uh, and that I think is like a very, like luckily I think, man, if it wasn't for the civil war, it seems like the civil war, like created the Southern identity in relation to the North, you know, like, yeah, I I think without that, I don't suppose there would be quite as much of an emphasis on North and South or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But it gets pretty heavy because, you know, I think South was pretty wrecked after that. So, Mm. um, had to depend on federal government or federal aid to kind of come help rebuild it and, mm. and stuff like that. So, yeah, from what I understand, anyway. So, yeah, and then I guess there's that whole victimized uh, mentality of of the yeah. South and uh, like, yeah, how it will be, str- you know, <laughs> all that shit that that we wouldn't normally <laughs> say, yeah, but that people have said for a long time. Yeah, I I just see that's where they lose me. I don't, I can't. Yeah, man, I can't get into that. So, I if we all want to be one, we got to start thinking like it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. So, uh, well, so that's interesting. I mean, and I've, I don't think I've had quite this specific of a of a conversation about Southern identity on this on the podcast before. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Yeah, it's but it's cool. It's I mean, because it is interesting. Like I've had an like I love the term Americana. I have mm-hmm. for a long time, and yeah. it's it's how I it's the it's the term I think I identify most heavily with my music. Some people like roots or alt country or country or whatever some yeah some you know some people are just like i don't give a fuck i'm calling myself country and <laughs> yeah i don't care if nashville don't call me country yeah right? like tyler childers or yeah somebody. yeah but they get really up in arms about that yeah like thing. like the word country mm-hmm. means a lot to them i think americana is a great thing because i i, I think it gives people that normally wouldn't have a platform a platform mm. you know and I, if you're complaining about that, I don't know why you're complaining about that. Yeah, you know? uh, I agree. It's uh, I don't know. I mean, I when people ask me, I go back and forth like folk, uh, folk rock, Americana, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I, you know. But uh, I've shied away from the whole country thing um, because I, I don't know that I fully like. I'm country, you mm. know, I, I don't know what, what that so many people have different ideas of what they think that is. Yeah. I mean, what do you, what, when you say you don't think you're fully country, do you have ideas about what you think that is that you, that isn't a part of your criteria? Uh, I mean, I think when I'm trying to play music, I think I gravitate more towards a mixed sound, whether it be, folk or more rock than it is um necessarily twang or trying to be you know say have a draw in mm. when i'm singing and stuff like that <laughs> yeah i mean i i realized that i've already got that no but, but i know what you mean <laughs> like when you listen to old uh like a great example would be like old dixie chicks or chicks i should say or yeah. old uh Taylor Swift and like the fake accents that they yeah. would use in that music. Yeah. Yeah. Just embarrassing kind of. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because when I was a kid, I was, it, it was really harped on to try to grow out of that and try to talk more like correctly more mm-hmm. correctly, I guess you would say, um, and not have such a country twang. And I did, you know, and, 
And then as I got older, I tried to do that. I tried to be, to talk more properly, things like that. And then uh, I think I did go through a phase when I was younger that it, it was, I took pride in it or something, but I, to me, looking back on it now, it's kind of dumb. I don't know. I, but, I like naturalism. I yeah. think like yeah. when I, 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 it always really creates a lot of cringe and, and friction for me when I'm hearing somebody and I can kind of get the sense that there is a false accent being right. used. And I, I don't know how to, I don't know. I guess I just, I have this firm belief that like I, what I really want out of art is for art to kind of reflect who the person is and who they're right. like, where they are in this moment. Yeah. And instead it seems like what a lot of people do is lean into this production. That's like, well, I'm, I'm being this, I'm being a character that's like a kind of a fake character. And there's, there's versions of that that I'm cool with, uh, especially when it's, a true theatrical presentation like Alice in Chains or David Bowie or some shit like that. But I think when, when I get the sense that an artist is oblivious to their own false identity, that's what I get really disappointed by and something that I just kind of can't support. Yeah. I'm saying I'm right there with you on that. I, I just be you don't like whatever you're trying to be. It's already been done. So just come across as you are, just almost as if you were standing on stage naked, I think. Like, yeah. just be who you are. And I try to do that every time. Like, and when I write, when I play, I, I mean, what you see is what you get kind of thing. Yeah. So that's why I say I struggle with these certain ideas because I feel like so many people are trying so hard to be that or trying. It's like, that's, I don't consider myself a traditionalist in that way because I feel like not to knock tradition at all, but it's just not me. And they, you know, like if you're not playing it the traditional way, you're not playing it the right way. Right. You know? Yeah. And I'm like, man, I don't even want to go down that road. (laughs) Yeah. You know? I like the idea of taking things from tradition and using them to make as like a melting pot. So people use that phrase too much, I think, but Mm. it's the only thing I can think of right now. (laughs) I'm with you. I mean, I'm also definitely not one for assuming that tradition is a bad thing, which is, I I think it's a word that gets a lot of, well, it has negative connotation too, in a way that I think is misunderstood or something like that. Right. As if it's like the enemy, as if tradition is like the enemy of of innovation or something. And I, mm-hmm. I don't think it is. I think it kind of protects the realm in which we have to innovate or something. Like it can tradition can can right. be the toolbox that brings about innovation. Yeah, kind of a foundation. Of yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you you have that foundation. You can build off of that. You know, it's all, my only concern is staying in the foundation. Like, mm. and, and mm. some people do that, and that's fine. But me, for me personally, I, I kind of want to see where we can go. I'm with you. <laughs> with it, you know. So, so where did it? What is your foundation? Where did music start for you amidst all this stuff? Um, music. That's kind of a tricky question. I I loved music growing up. 
as a kid, I remember just anytime I had a little bit of money going and getting a CD or something like that. Um, uh, it varies for me. I remember as a young teenager being heavily into, uh, what my dad listened to just because that's what I was most exposed to. Yeah. Uh, on my mom, for my mom, I was, her influence was a lot too, but it was more of a poppy kind of feel. What was more popular at the time. Uh, my dad was heavily in traditional country and that kind of thing. Um, so it, I, you know, I remember listening to classic country on Saturday morning mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, growing up, he used to love to listen to JD's Country Gold and a little of that top notch grass uh-huh. on Saturday morning. So that we would get up, like I just so often remember my memories of getting in the truck with him on Saturday morning, going doing whatever we had to do, and he would turn that on, and that's what we listened to. You think so. that's where your attention to songwriting started as well with that type type of music? Probably. I I don't think I was conscious of it at that time. Right. But I do think later on when I got, I think I got so heavily into Texas or Red Dirt music, as they call it, I think. Yeah. Because I did hear it when I was there, when I lived there briefly. But it, to me, at that time, I gravitated towards it because what I heard on the radio in North Carolina, I couldn't relate to anymore. Huh. You know, it's like if if we're speaking specifically to like country radio or something like that. I somewhere when I got into high school, somewhere along the way in there, and two, you're young, you're like experimenting with other things. You know, you're learning who you are, and um, I've got into everything from hip hop, old school hip hop, to who knows what back then, but when I heard like uh, someone like the first band that I really started listening to were Ragweed, Cross-Canadian Ragweed and Randy Rogers band. Hmm. And then I got heavy into um, Jason Bolin too. And then that graduated to like listening to Joe Ely. And then when I heard Joe Ely, I was like, man, this is more because it's he's from Lubbock, but he and it comes across in his music. But it's very, uh, I guess, pretty heavy Buddy Holly kind of influenced and mm. kind of. I mean, he he toured with the Clash and stuff back in the day. A guy from Lubbock that's kind of unheard of, you know. But some of this music that you're talking about that started to speak to you, especially in contrast to country radio. Do you think it was the was it the lyrical t- content or the style? Like, what was I it? I think was... it was a little bit of both. Mm. But lyrical content, that might have been where I really started to focus on lyrics because I didn't, I just couldn't, like, and and I struggle with it still to this day. You know, there are a lot of guys that are really popular, and it's not that they're bad musicians, and I don't want to... I don't want to put anyone's success down... Uh, but it just, it's tired and it doesn't feel original. It doesn't feel like it comes from who they are, so to speak. In the country world specifically, yeah. you mean? Yeah. Cause that's the, that's the one thing 
uh, that, that I feel like that world uh, prides themselves on being so lyrically driven. Mm-hmm. You know, they pride themselves on. Uh, you've heard it a million times that country music is from the heart, and it's you know it's real, and that's why people love it. And yeah, it seems like it's not a it's not a fiction. You know, I like. With some things, there's a nostalgia factor that happens where people just like love the the version of a thing that they grew up with. Yeah. But I've thought about this a lot, man, with country, and like I don't think I'm just being nostalgic for '90s country when I say that there's a serious difference. And part of the part of the reason is that country post like 2000, like five or something, started to become about country music itself yeah whereas prior like the music that i grew up hearing was a lot about like it was about like regular life you know Mm -hmm. like hard working man by Mm -hmm. brooks and dunn for example yeah was a song about just being a blue collar person right i work all week and after that i fucking get in my truck and that was actually like a lot of their a lot of their material was either me and a girl broke up or i like a girl or uh uh, after work on Friday, mm-hmm. I like to go party with the boys. Like that was or kind I'm of going to go drink that, her away. <laughs> yeah, kind of thing, exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that wasn't just them. You know, that was a right. lot of music at the time. And then it slowly seemed like it started to become all about like, this is how we listen to country music. This is mm-hmm. what country music is. Country music is your life. It's like all these statements about like what the value of country right. music is and how you should listen to it on the radio. It and started like, to become an image. Yeah. You know, it started, oh, yeah. you, you know, there was a certain dress that you had to drive a certain vehicle. Like it was all huh. that it's at least that's what I feel. You know, there yeah. had to be a bonfire involved yeah. with some moonshine. Yeah. You know, and you had to be like, like fucking yeah. <laughs> you had to have fucking catfish dinner in your cornfield, fucking Luke Bryan. Fuck Luke Bryan. Uh, <laughs> fuck Luke Bryan. Oh man. But catfish fucking dinner. Yeah, right. But Yeah, I totally get it, man. Well I when you said image, I started thinking too about how rock probably went from being inspired by the blues and being about life in a certain way through a certain lens and then becoming about rock itself. I wonder if that's like a, I wonder if that's a natural evolution that takes place when a sort of new expression of music really starts to reach its end in creativity or at least for a time period. Yeah. So I don't, I, I don't know what causes that necessarily, but I think like business, it gets too heavy into business and mm. you forget about the creative part of it. So it kind of gets down to it's the, the most simple factor that makes yeah. it sellable. That's what I think. Least common kind of denominator. Know. That's the word I'm right. looking for. Yeah. Mm. Because you know that all of a sudden you like, this is what's selling tickets or records or whatever. And then all of a sudden, like somebody that wants to make some money is like, well, this is what we got to do. You know? Yeah. You know, just it, I think it happens in everything. I, it's not just music and it's not just country music. I'm not trying. I'm literally I'm not trying to bash it. I just um, but it's like TV shows. I mean, how many Western TV shows do you see now because of Yellowstone? Mm. You know, it's it just kind of happens. Yeah. And they say the same thing about like all the superhero <laughs> movies, you know, like. Right. 
when I when Spider Man first came out, yeah. and it was sort of like, wow, this is a big deal. And then Iron Man, and mm-hmm. then now it's just like, there's a million of them, right? Yeah, you know? I mean, and it's been going on for 15 years. Yeah, you know this this thing is just kind of it's right. an unstoppable beast now. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point, man. Maybe it's a maybe it's a natural byproduct of creativity is just when something when a new ter- territory sort of is born. Yeah, this is part of the process that it goes through. Right. So I think there's so many people that want to that that want to do what they want to do for a living or make a living doing it. Yeah. So then you when they're trying to figure out how to do it, uh, sometimes it gets lost. Like sometimes the creativity gets lost because you got to eat. You yeah. got to, you know, have a roof over your head, you know. Yeah, and when when somebody's saying, "Oh, if you write something that looks like this or does this, you could maybe make a hundred thousand dollars off of it, and mm-hmm. just with one sale. Then yeah, yeah that's it's all. And they're tempting. like, "Man, I can do that." And mm-hmm. next thing you know, yeah, it becomes a thing. A buddy of mine was just telling me sort of about the very narrow window of time in which streaming services were all like buying, you know, intellectual property uh, for kind of that. Like it was, it was like it occurred to everybody, like, "Oh shit, we can buy up all this new property." Uh, brand new material like we can just buy it for cheap and fucking put it out put it out turn it out and i think at the time it was like perceived as a good idea and a golden age for screenwriting Mm -hmm. and that quickly went away because it was like way more there was way more supply than there was demand because like yeah we can't all watch everything that comes out on amazon and hulu and netflix and every other streaming service yeah you know it's true so when did you start writing songs? Oh, man. I started really writing somewhere around 2010 or 11. 11 was about the time... 2010 or 2011 was about the time when I started to play out. Um, and literally, I, I had no idea what I was going to do, like how I was going to do it. I just was like... I'm, gonna, I'm just going for it, yeah. and it's, it's kind of balls to the wall. I'm just let's jump in and do, and that's kind of how I approach most stuff in life, which I guess is probably not a good thing always. I but. disagree. I think that's the best <laughs> way to go about shit. Where did you? Okay, you've alluded to Texas a, a few times, so I should ask you what I, that was. I probably shouldn't bring that up so much, but sometimes it comes up. And talking about my past, I, I ended up going to school in Texas briefly, but like realized not long after I got there that it really wasn't where I wanted to be. Yeah. And it didn't last long, but it was, it's weird because I had, for a long time I looked at it as a disappointment, but it seemed to be so heavily influential on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the failure of that, I guess. Um, but when I was rodeoing, I end up going. To, I wanted to go to a school that focused on that as a sport, you know. And and their schools, most of them are out west, so I really tried to go fresh out of high school to a college to be on a rodeo team at mm. school out west. And I initially wanted to go to the northwest. Like that's I'm still drawn to that area. I just love it out there. Um, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, those, 
those parts. Yeah. And I wanted to go to Wyoming, uh, the school that I kind of made up my mind to go to. But uh, at the last minute, kind of me being unplanned and not have, you know, some things fell through and a mixture of everything. I ended up going to East Texas to go to school. Mm. And, so, and then you were there pretty shortly and then yeah, you ended up back. I was there Winston, for about a or? semester. Yeah. yeah. And then I came back to North Carolina. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And so when you really started cutting your teeth as a musician, were you in Raleigh? Yeah. Gotcha. That was like kind of where it started, I think is what you said. Yeah. Earlier. Well, the, I, I started when I, towards the end of like rodeo and when that was kind of fading for me, uh, I, a friend of mine at the time who was a musician, he was an announcer as well. And he, he was the one that wanted me to play bass for him. And that kind of conjured up into, I'll just go on the road with him and, it was a way for me to make a little bit of money if, if he, I wasn't like I was getting, making a ton of money, but it was something to do basically. And, uh, so I'd just travel with him constantly and mostly up and down the East coast. We went everywhere from Texas all the way up to Cape Cod. So, and it was kind of everywhere in between. Texas to Cape Cod, uh, playing bass. I mostly was selling merch at that point. Gotcha. Um, uh, that was or helping drive, helping set up, and and because he was an announcer too, he would kind of coincide the two. So he would go announce or run sound at these rodeos, and then play an after party after mm. it. So it kind of helped him, and I was there to help do gotcha. it all in a way. So how did Raleigh treat you, Raleigh? And also, how did you end up? Uh, how did Raleigh treat you, and how did you? How did you manage to live out of your car? How was that experience? Are you talking like, were you homeless? <laughs> well, I was basically homeless, but because I had some friends there, uh, like went, so I got a job, a little part-time job up there. And I had some friends that I would go up there and visit a lot. And they were like, move up here. Mm. And I was like, well, if you can help me find a job, I will. Yeah. Like I was literally at that place. I just didn't know what I was going to do next. And um, I wanted to try to play music and uh, to do it my own way. I, Nashville's net wasn't appealing to me at that time. Yeah. And um, never mind the fact I didn't have any fucking money to go to Nashville. So, um, but yeah, that, so I get they got me a part time job and I just, my friend Hannah, who I'm still friends with today, talk to her every once in a while. She kind of asked me, so where are you going to live when you, I was like, I don't know. I hadn't (laughs) figured that out. You know, she said, well, if I'll check with my roommate, but if it's okay, you can crash on my couch for a little while. She didn't realize that a little while would turn into four months. Mm -hmm. I don't think, but yeah, but she's a kind soul and good to me. And so that's how that was the start of that. Yeah. But being broke and living in a city is hard. <laughs> was it a good community as far as our artistic opportunity at the time? Um, I think like any area, it can be clicky. Yeah. And I think I experienced that a lot, especially as someone younger trying to get noticed in some way, you know, um, 
And, and I was the kind of person, like, I didn't know how to approach it at all. So I remember working at a coffee shop and a person that would come in frequently was a guy named James Oden, Oden, who's no longer with us, but he's a traditional folk, Irish folk singer Mm. and just roots and like, just really good, just, and just a big heart, kind soul. And he would get espresso every day and just knock it back right there and then go off to where he was going. And he started talk. somehow he got wind that I played music and then he started talking to me. And I remember he was playing this thing at a brewery up there and he said, it's kind of a festival. If you want, you should come out and say, and check it out. There's a guy that I think you'd be really interested in, uh, his name's Chip Robinson and he plays in a band called the Backsliders. I didn't know anybody from Adam. I just, he was the only person I knew was James. And so I went and checked it out. And when I heard him play, he played solo that day with an acoustic guitar unplugged in a tiny little pool hall room. And Mm. I was like, fuck yeah, man. Like that's the shit. That's where... (laughs) I want to be that kind of thing. So that kind of gravitated to me going to backslider shows. And then I would go to other local shows in the area to try to get people to get ideas or get, I literally just not knowing what to do. Yeah. Just trying to get people, you know, if you want to write together or, you know, teach you, can you teach me something, you know? And that's just kind of how I approached it. But have you seen the same chance to approach approach it that way? I guess because your 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 approach that you took in Raleigh to build community uh, has that worked the same way since you've been back here? Um, for Winston, uh, I've like the Winston community musically has been so kind to me. Oh, good. They. Um, uh, the first person I met at an open mic was Sam Foster mm-hmm. and his roommate Donald. And, uh, I got Sam, I think I got both their numbers that night and they were, we connected cause we were playing at a, uh, open mic together and it was my first time playing at an open mic in town. And I was just playing, uh, some original, I think I played all my own stuff that night and then got off stage and there, here comes this guy and with a guitar and another guy with a lap steel or a pedal steel. And I was like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> and so I hung around to listen to them and they playing anything from Guy Clark to Dylan or whoever. And I was like, Oh, okay. I want to know, I want to meet these people. Yeah. And, so then, then I started to gravitate towards that. But then, and then they would introduce, invite me out to introduce me to other people, and and it grew much faster here than it did in Raleigh. Maybe because I had evolved as a musician or a songwriter by the time I'd gotten here. I don't know, but mm. um, so I kind of. I had a little bit of a background, so I kind of knew where I was coming from at that point, if that makes sense. Yeah. And instead of just, hey, I want to learn, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm just here, you know, that kind of thing. A little more of a formed artist. Yeah, somewhat yeah. of a foundation. 
Yeah, absolutely. Even if it was made with dirt, it was still something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I like Sam, man. He, uh, yeah, he's, this sounds funny because I'm not that old, but I was part of a, I think a community, like a little bubble in the community that was kind of like a new string of musicians at a certain time. And Sam and Casey and different musicians that I've learned about through this, um, I've realized we're kind of like, oh, those are a new string of musicians probably. And you you might even be a part of that as well, just like a new string of musicians. And it's like, uh, I guess good to know that still like another generation of musicians, of local artists who who have even bigger aspirations than that are uh are coming up because for yeah. a while I was like I was like oh god like there's we don't have any place for people to grow this right. this skill you um, need it <laughs> and you when know? you say you went to an open mic I'm like where cuz <laughs> I I didn't know we had any anymore but where did you yeah. go to an open mic at that time the only the first one I found out about was at Earls mm. um and I went to that uh but now uh, Country Dan does one at Wise Man. I think it's on Wednesday night. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so I have been to that once or twice recently. But and things are important, man. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. how I uh, definitely became a, a, a musician. Really, was yeah. open mics. Yeah, me too. Yeah, my first like Deep South in Raleigh was really where I, I, <laughs> not talk about not knowing what you're doing. I just show up to that thing, and they had it every fucking Monday night, and I was just. I'm here with my guitar, you know, yeah. and a guy named Ryan Kinnamer ran it. Who's I still talk to him once in a while, but good dude. And he, I would get signed up every Monday, sit there I, and drink <laughs> Mickey's at the bar and like any broke person would. <laughs> I remember that we used to, it was like a three song open mic, the one I used to go to. And I used to find ways to kind of, milk that for everything it was worth and so i would like kind of do little medleys or whatever <laughs> like so i would That's like smart i would interject <laughs> songs into another song until the host was like hey man like uh every time you play it's like supposed to be a roughly like a maybe 12 minute slot and it takes like 35 <laughs> minutes <laughs> like you're going to have to, you might only get to do two songs. I'm trying I, to make the most out of this opportunity, <laughs> man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I had to, I had to adjust. Yeah. I was very, I get it. you know, probably self-centered at the time. Yeah. Uh, I not think to say I'm not now. As a music, Ed, you hear that a lot in your music and stuff like that. But I try, I, it's an everyday thing to really work on that and I think it's helped that I've gotten older now so but uh but I try not to I mean to take it too seriously Mm. take it serious but not too serious if that makes sense tell me more about that I got I got (laughs) thoughts about that but tell me tell me more about that I think from from a songwriting aspect that's what it really drives me and to write great songs is what's important to me. Um, not to say that I think I'm great or anything like that, but um, you can't get there without trying. But I, I do think it's important 
not to get caught up in this whole, I guess, going back to persona or anything like that. Like, all that shit's for the birds. You just got to write great songs. So it sounds like to me what you're saying is sort of, there's a, well, and you tell me if this is right, but there's a seriousness about songwriting that you can have, it sounds like, whereas the seriousness of all that other stuff that sometimes comes with trying to be a songwriter, like the identity of the songwriter. Yeah. Is that what you're kind of getting at? Yeah. Like some of that stuff, maybe don't take that too seriously. Yeah. Because I think it's a rabbit hole that like, if you, if you want to take what you're doing serious, that if you go down that rabbit hole, you get less and less serious about what you're doing. I think Mm. you Mm. have to wait. Yeah. Let me (laughs) say that again. Will you, (laughs) Are you saying that some of that stuff will distract you from the, where your seriousness should actually be? Oh, yeah. I mm. definitely think so. I think if you get too caught up in that, you get too caught up in having to have this identity or... I mean, everybody has to have an identity, but if it's a false one, then it just takes away from what you're doing. Um, my uh, Nick Bullins and I talked to a little bit about that recently. Old Nick, yeah. Yeah, I love Nick. He's yeah. a good dude. Known Nick for a long time and haven't seen him in forever, but yeah, yeah. he is a good dude. I saw him last night. He um, went to the Blue Ridge Music Center. Oh, yeah? See uh, Watch House now and Alexa Rose. I didn't I didn't even know that, that was killer show. Man. Oh, God, I'll bet. And Evening was nice. Watch man, House is great. They're awesome. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, but Nick and I... I have talked a little bit about that recently. And I think you alienate people when you do that. I think you, uh, you start having to fit these, like in order to be taken seriously, I got to be this and I got to be that. And I got to look just like this person. I think we get very much caught up in the social media realm of that too. Nowadays, you know, Mm. you got to make yourself look a certain way. So people come to see you. Yeah. And I don't think that, a good way to go about it there's so much about this subject that i that i'm interested in and that i I don't even know where to start like there there's you know we one thing that stands out to me i think is the fact that we call this playing all the time and when we like meet musicians or have relationships with other bands or when you have bandmates we call the thing that we do with them playing with them playing shows and stuff and uh of course, that in a way is like a synonym for performance or whatever. Right. But I also think there's something really interesting about the fact that we say play as if it's like kind of playful, as if it's kind of not serious. And I think that in my experience of the past and even even still, I think there's there's kind of this there's kind of this back and forth with like, are we are we trying to get this so perfect that it's not fun or are we trying to have fun with it? And Mm -hmm. the fun stuff seems to get rewarded. Like audiences like it and bandmates like it, you know, it's, it makes this whole thing enjoyable when you play music, when you like have a a bit of, I don't know if you call it humor or like leisure to it or what, but something that's enjoyable about it. And I've noticed for me, it's like when I think of this as, I don't know, like, if I'm like David Goggins about it or something, if I or like, if I'm like I'm just gonna have a crazy work ethic about music, yeah. 
I've done that before and it does it work for you? Depends on what you mean cuz like yeah. does it make me send out emails? Yes. Yes. <laughs> does it make the music feel more enjoyable to play? I don't know that it contributes anything to that. And maybe yeah. there's a way to have both, but yeah. I I just like I think there's something very difficult about the combination of trying to treat this like it's a profession the same way that being a lawyer is a profession right and trying to keep a sense of play in it yeah i think the play is important i guess is the is the point of all that yeah totally i agree with you maybe i get too caught up into like being so serious about songwriting but i think and sometimes maybe that holds me back oh i don't know you know but um but but yeah i get what you're saying because it should still be fun what you're doing Otherwise, why did you do it in the first place? Well, like you said earlier, I mean, I, I do think there's something really valuable to to being able to acknowledge that what you want to do is write great songs, not just write songs, mm-hmm. but write really, really good ones. Yeah. And that does that's a serious thing to try to do. You know, yeah. uh, a friend of mine told me once a long time ago that really stuck with me was like, basically, the the point of it was like, don't forget that songwriting often is very accidental. And mm-hmm. I was like, that is true, true because at the time I was like kind of in the midst of not feeling productive in writing and it's a constant thing. yeah and and I was like oh I've got like writer's block and he kind of called me out and was like songwriters are so full of shit <laughs> well that's good to have though yeah it's good to have somebody like that because we are full of shit you know <laughs> yeah. honestly it um because if we're being honest, we all have a story to tell. You just got to find a way to tell it. Yeah. And people do it different ways. If you want to get into different types of art, people do it in playwright and movie right. Like it it's has different avenues, but Yeah. The act of doing it is important though, I think. You have to do it, you know. Do you have a regiment for writing? Do you what what is your relationship with writing currently? Uh, it's rough right now. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I I go back and forth with it. Like sometimes I get really good about getting up in the morning and trying to do it. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and write stuff down because it's in my head mm-hmm. and I can't go back to sleep. Sometimes I overlook things that I look back on and I'm like, oh, I can't remember what that was and I wish I remembered it. Um I carry a pen and pad with me all day, you know, uh, if I'm working or whatever, you know, and if I have ideas, I jot them down. Um, But as far as completing and things like that, I've struggled with that recently. Mm. And um, when I first moved here, I kind of got on a roll and I was writing couple I was working on a couple different songs and then kind of you know writing pretty frequently and then I don't know if what it was I think I don't know if the pandemic probably was a big part of it but I don't want to put blame on anything but somewhere around in there it became I like I think during the pandemic I was so stressed and freaked out like oh yeah I didn't know what the fuck to do. Yep. And it, like, I didn't write anything. And I put 
someone sent me a link to this online songwriters thing and that it was like this competition thing and it was North Carolina against Georgia and there would be eight people on each from each state and you would go up against someone from the other state wow and you would do it started off there had there were levels of it and it started off as one song i think and then you did two i think on the next round and to a point where it got to you do a half hour live set and then you would do more the next time hmm. if you got but you had to get people to draw people online to vote for you oh, I, hate, I yeah. hate that part it was i hesitated whether to do it and I didn't want to at first, but I said, you know what, fuck it. I don't really have a, you know, I'm, if we're in mid pandemic. I'm not doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a way to m- maybe connect with some other artists. Maybe, I don't know. So I did it and I ended up making it to the final four, I think. Damn. So, I, which surprised the shit out of me. That's not bad. I didn't know that many people online would vote for me. Um, but Rebecca Todd ended up winning it. Oh, she's cool! Awesome. Yeah, she, yeah. She's been on here. I, Has she? We've known e- we've known of each other for a very long time. Yeah. And then we, she, when she came on, we realized we were meeting each other for the first time, and we just didn't know it because we'd we'd kind of known of each other since the MySpace days, like oh yeah, over a decade ago. You yeah. Know? She seems cool. I don't know her, yeah. but um, just other than the interaction we had through that competition, um, but yeah, she's, I've she's seen her. Cool. I've, I've gone to her shows when I lived in Raleigh. I think I saw her at the poorhouse. Yeah, a couple of times. So, oh yeah, that that shit where where they'll put you in a position where you got to like get yeah. people to vote for you, man. I did a battle of the bands like that like forever ago. Yeah, which it just goes to show you the flaw in this mechanism because like. Not that, not that the thing you did or anything like, not that that's flawed. Not that Rebecca shouldn't have won any shit like that. But, yeah, yeah. um, like, we did this battle of the bands that was on local TV, and we had to like just go online and get people to call a number to vote for us, and we just did it and did it and did it. But the thing was, when I played this thing, I was a lead singer of this band, and I had lost my voice entirely. Like, oh, it man. was that awful. Sucks. It was like. If you took Tom Waits and took out <laughs> some of his vocal cords and he only yeah. had like one left and it was just covered in rust and 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 sin and yeah. Satan, if it was just ruined, my voice was gone yeah. and uh, it sounded like it was coming through a busted speaker. And still, we managed to like narrowly, narrowly get second place just because we were able to persuade more people to vote for us. But right. merit-wise, we definitely were not... <laughs> deserving of second place that's the thing about it is like if you can get enough people and i guess that then you get a little bit of an experience of what the business side of it is like that's so true you have to get those people to like you in order for you to be considered quote unquote successful that's so true it's a weird thing isn't it it is i mean that's what i hate about the industry now and and I say that, and okay, one thing I should admit is I know I'm wrong for that. And like, I know when I say this shit out loud, I'm, I've, I've come to realize that I'm giving myself the excuse, I guess, to be bitter about this whole aspect of it and to not grow. Like I should, uh-huh. I should grow if I want to be like a, 
right. a self-assured musician, any of us, should be willing to put our name out there and say, look, I give myself the stamp of approval, like, I'm good, you should listen to me. But right. that comes that comes hard, but what I've realized is that it is not new, it is not a social right. media thing. Like, <laughs> no. the biggest stars in the world are currently still having to do that. Yeah. They are just having to do it at a way worse scale than, right. than it, like, we do. It's everyday fucking battle, man. Yeah. Garth Brooks it. does that shit every day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Isabel, you know? They, yeah. I don't know if you watched that documentary he put out recently. No, I haven't watched it yet. But... It's pretty, I thought it was pretty good and to kind of show, like, I don't know him, but I imagine he, from the things that he does and how he presents himself, he seems to be a good individual. I don't know. I, but, but the stances he takes and he's not afraid to do that mm. on, on the level that he does. But it goes in to show that, like, in the making of this record, that, you know, he gets fucking frustrated too, and he has to deal with all this fucking shit too. You know, and he it like it shows like the impact that it takes on him and his family and his like relationship between his wife and him <laughs> and all that and stuff like that. But it kind of gets in deep. But man, I'm glad you bring him up. I mean, he's he brings he makes me so curious because yeah, me too. He is a messed up thing for me to try to navigate around because I really like his music. I really think he's talented. I really do not respect the way that he engages with people on Twitter and shit. Oh yeah. I really don't like, it's so embarrassing to me and it's like a product of what I think of. And it's, it's, it's uncomfortable because so many people who are music lovers are just kind of, um, they're sort of like liberal by default, and so when they yeah. hear certain opinions, they just think, well, of course, like if it's a liberal opinion, then it's like the morally superior yeah. one. Yeah. And I understand that assumption, and I've even ex- experienced that assumption, but in right. some cases, that's not accurate. And so it, it makes me look like some kind of asshole if I were to usually say this, like yeah. say, I think Isbell is an asshole sometimes when he does this shit on Twitter or whatever. Right. But right. I think he is sometimes. Like yeah. I think he should get off Twitter sometimes. He, <laughs> Twitter in itself can be a rabbit hole to go down, you know. Like, yeah. I, but yeah, I I get what you're saying. Like, um, the one thing I will say in to that is that when I was leaving a rodeo world mm. and uh, wanting to pursue music or trying to find an my way in the world, I guess, or whatever you want to say. Um, I looked at it as though like I def like music is an avenue because I think I could find camaraderie in different ways with other musicians. Mm. Whereas I didn't always in the rodeo world. Interesting. So it gave it like allowed me to feel okay being okay that I don't agree with certain things, you know, whereas before I was afraid to speak out or afraid to say things that huh. I didn't, I, I didn't want to shape, 
the boat. You know, I didn't want to make waves. And it was and when is that partly also because the was the rodeo world more sort of monolithic, I guess, in comparison to the the yeah, art world? It can be, yeah. yeah. I think it has changed, but like I said, I'm so far removed from it now. Yeah. Um, but it's very like it is like I just something as simple as kind of having shaggy hair or something long hair. And that sounds so simple to me and so stupid, but it was very much a topic of conversation at every rodeo I went to. Yeah. Like, dude. And to a point that I'm, I'm the type of guy who's like, well, you don't like it. I'm going to grow it longer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I do know that feeling. And that's kind of how I approached it. Yeah. And so going over to music, I felt like they don't give a shit how long my hair is or they don't give, you know, they, but I do see your point going back to the whole Twitter thing and just blasting somebody on a social platform. I try really hard not to do that. Yeah, I really do. I think we should engage to a point where I've been called out and I just said, you know what, man, we don't, we're probably not going to agree. That's okay. I, I, I haven't talked to you in a long time, but I remember you as a good person, man. I, I'm not trying to get into that. And that wasn't specifically to one person, but it was like, you, as you know, that once somebody comments on something, then you get a handful of people mm. coming in to back it up. Dude, and I'm yeah. Just like, this is not what it's meant for, I don't think. But go ahead. You, well, you bring up an interesting thing, which, like, so, like, using the comparison of the rodeo world as, like, a sort of monolithic thing. Like, if you're outside of this identity, you know, we start to question your character and shit like that. And mm-hmm. I, I've, I've been sensitive to that type of dynamic my whole life. And uh, so I think the, 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 the liberal arts world was appealing for that reason because it seemed like a territory where those distinctions between people were very few and like that, that it was unimportant. Like it was a domain in which such distinct distinctions were unimportant because like it didn't matter if you had long shaggy hair or if you were a different ethnicity or if you were whatever, like all these things, these factors about your identity were kind of secondary to what you had to contribute intellectually to the world or something. And that is appealing to me. What I've started to notice is that, like, with people like Isabel, just like across the board within, within the this side of the spectrum, especially that that like kind of owns the arts, uh, it's become monolithic and conservative, sort of in a different way, like mm-hmm. kind of parametered in a different way. Kind of like what you're saying, like it, somebody fucks up, a, like somebody fucks up in some kind of way, and everybody on the team sort of tries to really hard like vilify and condemn that person. Yeah. And it's like you're not allowed to be on the team anymore. And Isabel, I've watched him like it's I'm not trying to debate whether or not his opinion was worthwhile or whatever. Right. But w- right. the question was or the question that comes to my mind is something like when when somebody in that world does something that he doesn't like is it appropriate for him to view himself in a way where it's like, well I'm the king in Nashville I'm going to like try to destroy this person's career now. Mm. I'm going to voice that I don't think this person should have a career anymore because I don't like what they did and I don't think that they should be allowed to be famous or have a platform. Yeah. I think that is 
really sketchy territory to start acting. Does he acting consider on. himself the king in Nashville? Everyone else considers him the king in Nashville, yeah. and I, I like. He seemed to address that gracefully in what I read about why he was like, he he he, you know, kind of said, "I'm selecting these these types of artists to open for me at these shows because it seems that opening for me has been good for many people's careers, and so I'm going to try to use that to be good for these people's careers, which is fine and which is not only true but like literally accurate. Mm-hmm. It probably will do great things yeah. for these people's careers, but." Uh, I and I have no issue with him choosing to use his sort of pers- his ability to persuade that way, but I think he's got a bit of a victim complex, like most people in that world tend to practice. And I think that uh, yeah, when he starts going into the realm of trying to character assassinate people via Twitter, I just think he's going to a place where I can't go with him or I can't like maintain my respect for him. Yeah. Whatever. I see that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I see it, like, I just look at it as, like, and maybe I'm looking at it too simplistically, but that he's giving the people that he feels aren't given a chance, a chance, by opening for him. Which yeah. that part I like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I do, like, it's, for me personally, I try really hard not to... I try really hard to stand up for what I believe, but also not condemn, I guess, other people because I don't agree with them. I try. Hmm. You mind if I ask how old you are? I'm 37. 37, okay. So Mm -hmm. you're just a little older than me. I'm wondering if our demographic thinks of like sort of I just get the sense that like artists that are a bit younger than us, like the Gen Z sort of artists, I think it's them, right? Yeah. Gen Z artists are more maybe like they think it's necessary to insert their political views into the art. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think we, our generation, that was kind of considered like something you don't do. Like we're just like the residual millennials are like the residual effects of believing that, yeah. believing that political discussions are best left private. Mm-hmm. We don't know. I don't think we practice that anymore, but I think like we, like we know our parents thought that you didn't talk about politics. I think we talk about politics and I think Gen Z like tries to embody politics. Yeah. I, I guess I can see that. Um, I definitely, I, when I was younger, I didn't embody those kind of like politics and stuff like that. But as I got, there became a point for me that I just like, I don't I think it was a mixture of things. I don't really know, but I, I just got to a point where I was like, it's blown up anyway. And um, I got really frustrated at talking to people that were very vocal about their opinion and I didn't agree with them. And so I thought if they, if they felt that they were close to me, then I needed to say, look, I don't agree with you on these things, but it doesn't mean that we can't, you know, it doesn't mean we can't hang out or any like, but I think it's important for me to now say that I don't agree with you on that. Yeah. You know, at some point it became, I think a switch flipped for me for whatever reason um, to be, and maybe it's some kind of guilt for not saying something before um, in certain issues. I don't know. Was but. this like, are you, 
do you find that you're more do you find that you're usually around opinions like opinions that aren't consistent with your own or do you find that you agree with you find yourself agreeing with other people that you relation have a relationship with more I, often I think nowadays I think in the last couple of years I have definitely been surrounded by people that didn't agree with my own whether I'm you know intentionally or not mm. but in your in, in uh, prior, I think there was a point in my life when I lived in Raleigh that I kind of gravitated towards people that thought like I did. Mm, yeah. You know, and, um, not initially at first, like I think I definitely was around most people that didn't think like I did. But then as I started to pursue music more and more, I started to gravitate towards people that thought more like I did. Yeah. But I have, it's for the speaking out thing, I I did gravitate towards people that did speak their opinion on stage at one point. Um, I mean, I had both sides of the coin in a lot of ways. Um, like, just a, an example that comes to my mind, Steve Earle used to be very vocal on yeah. stage. I don't know if he still is, but I, but his son, Justin, wasn't right. in, some, in a lot of ways. And he felt he tried to make it a point not to be vocal about it on stage. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, and I'm heavy, like really a big Justin Towns Earl fan. Yeah. You know? I always have been. But yeah, I love Justin. But yeah. And I, I mean, he's, but he, he always had a way I felt of making, of letting you know where he stood without really having to say it in a way. Mm. Uh, and sometimes it did get a little confusing because some of his writing was very, uh, talked about things that a lot of liberal guys didn't talk about, you know, I guess in songwriting, you know, he, like the Southern or Civil War, or, you know, yep. and the realities of that and stuff like that. And a lot of, more liberal arts liberal artists don't tend to gravi- go down those avenues I think yeah but, yeah I mean I for me I, I think I, I gravi- like with myself I I notice people who seem conflicted and I can appreciate the conflict and like some songs just come to mind as soon as I start thinking about it like they capture the conflict between right and left in a way that I think I relate to mm-hmm. because for me I'm into the conflict. I've got kind of a, I've, I've had at least a, a sort of debater's personality. And I like, I have in the past really enjoyed opportunities to just like uh, fucking debate issues for hours. Like, and I forged relationships with people who could bear that. And that was hard for some people because some people can't bear that. You know, some people cannot, when they hear that, they when they're exposed to an alternative position than their own it really is an emotional negative emotional experience for them yeah. and so it's really hard and for me navigating that has not been like i've i've come across as not skilled socially i think because of that because for me that's a different music like <laughs> i don't yeah. understand what it is to be insulted by hearing a different opinion i like 
I'm attracted to all these different opinions. So yeah. I've got friends that are religions that I'm not and like uh, political ideologies that I'm not and all this stuff. And I just surround myself with those people. And, and my comfort zone for a long time was just to engage in that stuff. And so anytime that I felt that an artist was using art, a space that I think is really great for asking questions and for exploring territory uh, and reflecting individuality, which I think is the the thing for me. Uh, I don't think, uh, like, when somebody, I guess this is the way I'd say it, if somebody uses the space of art to reflect an ideology that any liberal could have or any conservative could have, any Democrat, any Republican, I don't think of it, for me personally, according to my own criteria, I just don't find it to be artistic because mm-hmm. I think art is often a reflection of the most individual side of ourselves. It's like a very personal experience. And so if, if you're best summarized, if, if what you're expressing through this song is best summarized is just, this is just a another version, another representation of a uh, political ideology, then I'm like, then I don't need it to be delivered through music. Like, yeah, that's not what I use music. That's not what in, that's not what draws me into music. If, if you want me to just read something that explains what it is to be a leftist or a, or a, or an alt right or whatever, write it in an essay or a journal, like a, in a, in a, political piece or something that would be sufficient for yeah. me or or write hand me a history book give me that i don't give a shit yeah. i don't need it in song form though so i like the mister the mysterious writers who kind of deal with their own relationship with these two opposing forces more so than using that space to kind of try to get into my mind and tell me in a one-sided way yeah this is what you should think because it's it's my best representation of what uh, good moral people think. Yeah, I don't know if I. I look at either being right or left as. Uh, I I don't. There's a lot. Uh, there's a lot in all that. Yeah, you know? for sure. You know, I I don't know that getting up and saying you're right or left is really necessarily a good thing anyway. It yeah. just, but as an individual. If you have individual beliefs that are political and you feel compelled to talk about them or speak out about them, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, you for know? sure. Yeah. And it, it doesn't necessarily need to be right or left. It just is what it is. And that's why I guess when I gravitated towards people that were uh, open to talking about things like that, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just that, you know, we can have these conversations in a way, you yeah. know, and and I get that if you're on stage and you're saying it, nobody else has a mic, so you know you're basically putting it out there. But for I do think sometimes for those individuals, it's very personal to them, mm-hmm. and then it is individual in some ways. I hope so. Well, yeah, I'd yeah. like to think anyway. Yeah, I, I don't know that. I can't speak for anybody else, you know. Well, don't get me wrong. I, I certainly wouldn't take the mic away from these people and be like, you're not allowed to do that. Especially, mm-hmm. Like if I had ultimate power, they would have, they'd have free range to do whatever. If they asked my advice, I would tell them that's why I didn't like it. And yeah, the re- I guess I feel consistent on that point because I want the speech part. 
Yeah. You know, but I feel the same way, whether it's, I don't know who, whoever it is that's preaching that type of message to an audience, like regardless of which ideology they might be affiliated with, I feel the same way about it, which makes me feel like I'm trying to be fair about it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, obviously, if somebody says something I agree with, I'm probably going to be a little less... <laughs> true. I'm probably going to be a little less like upset by it <laughs> than, true. than somebody who says something I don't. Yeah. I think you feel like, oh, yeah, you know, I... I don't know. I think it's for everybody. I think everybody gets that way. If if someone says something that they agree with, whether it's political or not, you know, yeah, then you're like, yeah, and you want like you want to back that. That's right. just what you do. It's almost like you're seeing a different version of you. You know, yeah. You're like, hey, that's me that you're saying, yeah, which is really interesting, right? And that's kind of what politics is. Yeah, you know, they're you're they're voting for someone who they think represents them or they think represents them yeah <laughs> so we're gonna run out of time soon and i need to ask you um yes. what is the sorry we've gone down around no it was a good <laughs> i i'm glad that we did that was a fun little uh fun little deviation so uh you don't as you've mentioned you don't necessarily have a record out right now um what's your plans right now like what is your why why don't you have a record out right now that's a good question <laughs> I, so I've sat down with a producer in the area and tried to hash out a lot of my songs. I feel like I still think they need work. I, I, and that's maybe me being too critical on myself. Uh, and going back to the songwriting competition online, what I, uh, and not writing that like that, I've went through all that to say that, um, I was running out of songs and mm. I had to go on to the next level. And so one day I just ended up getting a cup of coffee and walking home and writing down a song. And that was the first song that I wrote, um, during at any time during the pandemic. And that was a year later after the start of it. So I've struggled with finishing writing songs and I'm really hard on myself about, the type of songs I write and trying to make sure I'm getting a point or some sort, like there's some sort of point to it. Um, that kind of thing. Mm. I struggle sometimes whether those songs are good or not good enough to put on a record, I guess you would say. Damn. And that's like the really big thing for me. So you should, uh, read this Rick Rubin book. Have you read the Rick Rubin book yet? I don't think so. No, you should uh, get on it. Uh, the chat, the piece I was just reading before you got here today was kind of about completing a project and about like kind of some of the feelings that you just t- like touched on a little bit. Feelings of judging the work and stuff, and the moral being, you know, um, I, you know, it's fine to go through the process. It's necessary to go through the process of judging the art that way. But um, yeah, man, I think. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I I don't know your catalog. I don't know everything you're working with, but I think it's good. I guess it's a good practice to. I think right now it's a good practice to put things out and let them kind of have a life as a part of the process of improving instead of like feeling like you have to reach a certain status or the work has to reach a certain status. But it's a it's your business. I'm just sharing yeah. that thought as a thought, but. 
that's know, a good point. You'll you release know? it whenever you want to. And but. that's kind of, I, I've started to realize that too, is like, even like if you don't think it's where you want it to be and putting it out, at least you're, it's a process of learning and evolving and everybody does it, yeah. you know, and, and doing that to move on from it, so yeah. to speak and, and grow. Yeah. Uh, I'm starting to kind of learn to be okay with that, I guess you say. And the social media thing too is a little helpful because something that, something that, like for me, I get hung up on it. I didn't used to think of social media this way, but as a method for testing things, it's actually a great thing for that. And you can like, you can put out your songs and you can actually, you can actually have a clear view of which songs people respond to and like which ones get engaged with more or whatever. And that kind of can, can teach you things about whatever, like the, if you, if you think of it that way, you, you, it can teach you things about where your songs are at or what people like about them. Or sometimes I don't know if you've experienced this, but sometimes when I've finally put a song out, I realize whether it's good or not. And yeah. it's like prior to that, I'm kind of have a veil. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as I kind of understand that people are seeing it, I start seeing it the way that other people are seeing it. And yeah. I'm like, fuck, like, I really like this thing yeah. or whatever. It's up for them to decide, right? Yeah. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah. It's up for them to decide how they feel about it. Right. But there's something interesting about the experience that I have with it when I go from a place of I'm viewing the song as a private work versus I hit publish on YouTube or something. Like, I released it on YouTube, and I know that people are going to hear it now. And then I'm like huh and I like listen back to it and I'm like fuck I like this like it's I don't know how to explain that but it like it changes my perspective of the song knowing that it's now public instead of private right that's a good point I don't know yeah yeah so do you have a uh you say you've been talking to producers like to yeah I've talked specifically to one and uh I talked to Doug Davis. Of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I brought him some like songs that I had and I thought, you know, these, this is basically what I think, what I've got. And I know some of them need work and that's kind of how I approached him about it. Mm. And we sat down and went through a couple of them and he's, and he kind of gave me some tips and some pointers to look for in each song and stuff like that. And then I took them back home and, I haven't done much with them. Gotcha. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so whether it me being lazy or being frustrated, my I've had a lot going on and personally, so that's kind of played into it too and and stuff like that. So Yeah. But um so finishing that, like I do think I will feel so much better once it's finished and I just gotta get it finished. And that's the that's the demon that I'm dealing with right now. Yeah, man. I mean, it, and again, I'm not trying to insert my thoughts into your approach because it's like whatever. But my friend Travis and I, I think we're talking about this. And I think it might have been off the show. It was when he was here. And I think we might have talked about it after the fact. But just the, like for myself, I've been very sort of type A about how I keep all my music organized ever since it started and it's like this massive collection that I just build upon and build upon and yeah it's like grown to a place where it's very hard to release any of that old material because 
I think in my mind I've placed so much significance on how it should be received or how it should be produced or all these yeah. things that are basically in my way from putting it out there. And I, I just nowadays I think about it and think I want to get to a place where I put these songs out as quickly as I possibly can when I write them. And like I, I'll still have time to learn the songs, to figure them out on stage, to figure out which ones are good or whatever, to to like save some stuff for myself. But if I think I think the more and more that I the the more in touch with it I get, the more I realize the value of not withholding anything and just trying to like as soon as I as soon as I call the song done put it out next next yeah, week for yeah. all I care. I don't know. I, I just want to, I want to speed up the whole process for myself because it's, it's, it's taken up so much space in the, in like the filing system in my head after all these years, you know? Yeah. Takes away from the creativity too, right? Yeah. Cause it's like, I'm yeah. sometimes I'm thinking more about all this work that I've created over the last decade instead right. of what I could be writing tomorrow, you know? Yeah. 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 It's a trick. It's a, that's true. It's a weird little thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, so where would be the where where would where should people if they want to start to experience your art, where should they look for you? So right now I have some videos and stuff that I put up during the pandemic on Instagram. I have some videos on YouTube. Also did a home sweet home I think that I sent to you. Yep. Uh with the Ramcat during the pandemic and which uh, I'm glad that came out the way it did. And I, I was kind of a wreck that day going in there and I kept hitting my guitar up against the mic. I was like, this is not going to be worth a fuck. Man. <laughs> with it. So, so yeah, but, uh, but it, it, they did their magic on it and it came out well. So. Yeah. Those were a, a cool, that was a cool project. I enjoyed it. I yeah. was thankful that they included me. So, well, man, I guess we've been talking about an hour and a half or a little more, actually. Um, okay. So I guess we can call it a day and enjoy some of this beautiful rain we're getting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I left my windows cracked. I hope it didn't get <laughs> get into my car. It'll be all right. I hope it didn't, too. Well, hey, uh, thanks for your time, and thanks for telling me more about like your whole thing. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Hell yeah. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm.